Welcome to Sing, Coach, Conduct, the podcast for singers and singing teachers. Hi, Adam. Hi, Megan. (laughs) How are you doing? I'm good. Tired, but good. Oh, that's good. Yeah, the year is almost over, isn't it? Seven more days, but who's counting? It has been a long 14, 15 months? Too long, yeah. March 3rd, 2019. Oh, geez. (laughs) It's been a long time coming, but we are seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, yeah? Yes, very much so. That summer light leading into hopefully a somewhat more normal fall. We can hope. We can hope. Yes. I am here with the awesome Adam Gardner Northrup, and he is the choir director at H.H. Dow High School uh, and Jefferson Middle School, and he also teaches elementary music in Midland Public Schools um, in Michigan. And so I just want to start by thanking you for agreeing to join me in this podcast and have this conversation uh, because it's such an important topic and for people to get to know about you too because you do amazing work. You are not only a great choir director but just an incredible human being and I'm excited to hear what you have to share. Well thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Can you give our listeners some background about you, how long you've been teaching and what inspired you to become a choir director? Sure. Um, I Grew up in the small town of Holt, Michigan, just south of Lansing. My parents are still there. Just went camping in their driveway this past Memorial Day weekend. So uh, I went to Holt High School, graduated through Holt Public Schools, and then moved up to Mount Pleasant to be a Chippewa and uh, get my degrees at Central Michigan University. I knew from second grade that I wanted to teach for sure. It was the water cycle unit in Mrs. Delaney's second grade class that I was like, this is it. I want to teach kids. And what I wanted to teach has constantly changed and fluctuated. I wanted to first be an elementary school teacher, as many young kids want to do. Then I wanted to teach math. I wanted to teach biology. And then my mother one day just smacked me upside the head, metaphorically, and said, (laughs) you're going to do something the rest of your life. Why not pick something you really, really love and you're going to love doing every single day. You love to sing and what a fun job would it be to sing every single day for the rest of your life and get paid. And so that really made the light bulb click in my head to go to college for music. Uh, Originally, I actually was going to be a band director. I was an oboe major at CMU my first three years uh, before uh, halfway through junior year switching to a voice major and Something about singing and the text, and that just really hooked me into choral music, and I fell in love, and I've never looked back. I graduated with my uh, undergrad in December of 2005 uh, and took a long-term sub-job in elementary music, and that's where I discovered that that was not so much fulfilling my full creative needs, full creative needs, love the little ones, but... My soul was in advanced choral music for sure. And so I uh, applied for many jobs. I think I interviewed uh, 16 places in one summer. Wow. Uh, that was back when there were choral jobs available. In the summer between, yeah, the summer of 2006, I interviewed all over the state and was lucky enough to land a job at John Glenn High School in Bay City. And that's where I started my very first job at 23. And, uh, 
was there for 12 years and then applied to be a part of the MPS music family. And so I've been here three years. So I'm just finishing my 15th year as a choral director and loving it so much. I can't believe knowing you now today that you applied for 16 jobs. What was that like for you? It was the most insane summer of my life. I, it was almost every week driving to, I was up in Gaylord, I was in Grayling, I was over at Grand Rapids, uh, down by Kalamazoo. I did a phone interview in California and just finding the right fit for me, basically a school that offered a robust theater program with choral musics because uh, musicals are another huge passion of mine. So finding the right fit, got several offers, but the Bay City job was just seemed right at the time. And obviously everything works out the way it's supposed to. And it's definitely the right place for me at the right time. So you're also a theater director. Very much so, yes. I've been uh, through the Midland Center for the Arts and now here at Dow High School. I have a huge theater bug. I love directing, acting in plays and musicals. I've been doing that since Guys and Dolls, my sophomore year of high school. <laughs> what role did you play? Oh, Nicely Nicely Johnson. I was <laughs> sit down, you're rocking the boat. I was that guy. So yeah, definitely caught that bug in high school myself and have been continuing that ever since. Tell me about a time when you were uh, teaching choir that you were moved. I always talk to the kids about, I have the Finnish Van Gogh painting in my mind. And every day we add another brush stroke, we change another little thing to inch towards that masterpiece. And it happens when the kids will hit a chord so perfectly in tune when you told them try this try this try this they trust you and they do it. i'm just getting goosebumps thinking about it right now when they trust you enough as an educator to just blindly follow your creative vision and then they sing that chord and you can see it on their faces that the it's so in tune they just fully trusted in that moment and then that masterpiece that's been in the back of my mind happens in front of me. And that's when I just say to myself, well, I, I'm definitely doing the right thing. And it still happens after 15 years where I step back and I'm like, wow, I'm doing the right thing. I still have those moments. I still surprise myself. And it's those moments that give me the chills and bring the tears to my eyes and that I get to share that with the kids. Is It's unreal. What is something that you do that is uniquely Adam in your teaching, in, in music you choose, and I mean, anything related to your position? What is something that you feel like you really own as being you? I pick music for kids that is a step above what they think they're capable of because I know the potential that's there. I know what I can pull out of them because I know that by now they're willing to trust my expertise, that I can make them or draw out of them to say better draw out of them something they didn't know was there and I guess something that's probably uniquely me is I have a lot of fun doing it I am fully myself each and every day in the classroom I am sarcastic I am goofy we have fun we laugh we 
tell personal stories, the rapport that I have with kids. It's it's a partnership in the classroom. I am not teacher. They are not student. We go on the journey together. And I think that's what keeps me fresh in the profession and what keeps kids coming back to the program. I, I mean, I teach kindergarten. So in theory, I could have kids for 13 years in a row. And a lot of them I do have from fifth grade through graduation singing because of that goofy, fun-loving, relaxed atmosphere that I help create in the room, which I think is a lot of what we're going to get into when we get into the hot topic of today is that comfortable room where kids can feel free to be expressive and creative keeps them coming back. And that keeps me coming back year after year. I did not intend for this to happen. We were sharing a little bit before we started this official interview part, but it just so happens to be the first day of Pride Month. How awesome is it that we are getting to talk about this topic, that we have um, really the privilege to be talking about this? Why are you so incredibly passionate about issues regarding the LGBTQ plus community and about social justice in the classroom? It's a huge, heavy question. And one, uh, as you said, I feel very privileged that we are able to publicly talk about Uh, That was not always the case, and even in my short time as a teacher or my short time on this planet, we have evolved so, so much in our acceptance uh, of even just the ability to talk about this topic. Um, I'm so passionate about it because uh, my journey was, I guess, compared to most, a very, very easy journey, but a very secretive journey. I, I did not officially come out to, I would say, the majority of people until well after my college career, till I had already begun teaching. That was, I didn't even come out to my parents until I was currently, or dating who is currently now my husband. It was just eh, not something super important to me in my life. And I didn't really have uh, someone to look up to. I didn't have that role model. And so that's something that has changed a lot in our student body is that students now are way, way more uh, comfortable and uh, open about their being their true selves. And so I find it very, very important for me to be that role model. Uh, my husband and I are very, very public in the Midland community. There are very few people around that don't know one or the both of us through. Uh, my husband works at MidMichigan Health at the hospital and is a huge advocate and works with a lot of LGBTQ uh, organizations. I do a lot publicly with, obviously, school and through theater groups and whatnot. So we're well known, and I think it's important for me to be authentically myself so that students see that it's okay for them to authentically be themselves. I know there are so many, so many students that struggle throughout school, that struggle with parents that maybe not super uh, comfortable or accepting or who they just think won't be super comfortable and accepting. And to go through your home life with that idea, to then not have an outlet at school as well, to feel scared 100% of the time of the person that you are, uh, breaks my heart. And so I want to, if nothing else, have a place where one hour a day a kid can let their guard down and just be themselves. I'm going to get worked up about it, but it's so important that they have that hour in the day when they know they can breathe. 
when they don't have to hold it in, where they know that somebody will cheer along with them, will be their cheerleader, and fully, fully accept them for who they are and who they want to be. I think it's so, so important for kids to have that. Otherwise, I mean, we've seen the statistics. Without that, it can be absolutely devastating. So that's why it's so, so important and passionate for me to be fully me. There seems to be this sensitivity with now these people are asking for special attention um, when that is not really what this is about. These marginalized groups really just want to be brought in to this this mix and be equally able to be happy and accepted and loved. Can you clarify this? I mean, that's something that comes up every June when Pride Month comes around and there are various Pride events. It's like, why are you seeking special attention? Why do you need to wave a flag and flaunt it? There is no... it. We are asking to celebrate ourselves the way anybody celebrates what makes them happy and what makes them... We all have things about us that uh, we love, that we want the world to know about us, and or to just be able to live a life that anyone gets to lead, whether it's wearing it on a t-shirt or just walking down the street holding somebody's hand. We take it for granted to see a heterosexual cisgender couple walking down the street holding hands. I just want to be able to walk down the street holding my husband's hand and not worry that somebody's going to say something ugly or that when we're walking down the street with our son, somebody's not going to say something ugly. So it's not asking for special, it's just asking for the same. So when talking about special treatment, um, I think it's really allowing the world uh, and people to see our LGBTQ brothers and sisters being comfortable in themselves to be comfortable seeing it. So that's why, to me, pride is so important. Pride parades, pride night at the loons that always get such backlash. Like, when are we going to have straight night? It's like, well, you kind of get that every single day of your life when you don't have to go over that hurdle when you walk out your front door, when there is not that thought in the back of your mind of somebody could say something just for me being me. Uh, That's to me, what is what what we're really fight, fighting for is the ability to not need that. And right now, we need to celebrate it. We need the world to see that, no, we are happy about this. Um, as a community, we are very, very proud, which is why we call it pride, of who we are and the lives that we lead. And when, I mean, when you see people celebrating being happy about something, to me, that triggers joy in my heart. When I see anybody celebrating something that they truly love, I mean, that brings joy to me. And so to me, that's why I celebrate pride, not to seek something special or different, but to seek that sameness that so often uh, we feel oh, maybe, maybe this isn't the time and place to be on display. Maybe I should uh, tone down my gayness at this event. Maybe I should know that I am 
walking through a small town in the north, so we're not going to hold hands right now because uh, for the fear of what that might be. And, I mean, we see that in any marginalized community. I mean, there are certain areas where our brothers and sisters of color do not feel safe just walking down the street as they are. And so it's that type of pride. We see black pride for that exact same reason that there has been persecution in our past. We're not going to put up with that anymore. And instead, we are going to celebrate what makes us genuinely us. And if anyone knows what it's been like to have something um, suppressed, and and this can really happen to anyone, and then you're able to let go of that, it is something to be celebrated. And so I think empathy is really important to think about. And just because someone else is celebrating something, that is not a threat to to me or to anyone else. Whether I understand it, whether I agree with it, I should be happy that someone feels joy and freedom in who they are, because that's when the most love happens in the world, right? Uh, You use this word cisgender. I only recently learned what this word was, but I want to talk about language, because it's important for us all to use comprehensive language that allows us to understand one another, to connect with one another. Can we just kind of start there? Can we talk about words or phrases or things that things that we can use to uh, connect with the community and to honor the LGBTQ plus community? And I'll, yes, wonderful, wonderful. I will preface this with this is something that is constantly evolving and changing and developing. And it's the thing that probably scares most people that want to do right, but are scared to say the wrong thing. Yes. And it's uh, the thing that, uh, as you said, is the most important. Uh, But I want to, the most important thing I could say is give yourself grace to make mistakes. They're going to happen. They happen within the community. I say the wrong thing sometime. It's not you're a member of the community and thus you know all the vocabulary and will always use it correctly. It doesn't happen. Give yourself grace to mess up. Give yourself permission to ask questions. And that is when you will find people will genuinely open up to you and see that you are trying to do right by people and that's what matters the most. How uh, can we show that we are trying and that when we make a mistake, it is a mistake and not in, intentional um, harm? First and foremost, ask questions. If you don't know, ask. It, I do not know any member of the uh, LGBTQ community that would be offended to, when you say, I'm not sure how you would prefer to be me to refer to you. Can you tell me? And people are so happy for you to ask that question and not make an assumption, which will then turn out to be wrong and then could be offensive when you assume something about anybody. Nobody likes to be a foregone conclusion. So ask the questions. And if you say the wrong thing and somebody calls you on it, apologize and correct it and say, thank you for bringing that up. Please keep bringing it up if I do it again. I say that to my students all the time because I have students that are uh, navigating this process even in middle school of what do I would what would I like my preferred pronouns to be what would I like my preferred name to be and sometimes it changes throughout a school year and I always say to my students if something like this changes 
please tell me. And I will very well do my best to honor what, I mean, honoring what you would like to be called. For some people, that's a hot issue, which I do not understand why you would ever not want to call somebody what they wish to be called. We don't have any problem calling any Elizabeth Betsy, but we some reason have a problem calling on paper George Stephanie, if he, she, or they would like to be called Stephanie. And for some reason, as if in the old school, the gender of the name changes, some people then have an issue. But uh, I know that you probably wouldn't love it if I just called you Steve for the rest of your life. I, that's not something that would sit well with you, but we do it all the time to somebody that we don't think that that's what they've earned or deserve or should have. Uh, so getting into your vocabulary question. For those, and I'll, I, I will to be honest, a lot of these terms are new to me, and I learned them along with the rest of the population. I had never heard the term cisgender until a couple years ago. It's not something that I have always known about. And to for somebody that's cisgender, it all that means is they identify with the sex that they are or that they were born with. So if a person is born male and they feel like they are a male person, they are cisgender. I am a cisgender person because I was born male. I identify as a male. Somebody that is born a woman or is a woman and identifies that way, they are a cisgender person. It has absolutely nothing to do with sexuality at all whatsoever. That is a completely different vocabulary. That All it means is that your uh, your biological sex and your mind match up. And we have uh, people that those two things are at a disconnect. If somebody looked at my body, they would assume this, but I do not feel that in my soul. I, In my soul, I am male, but I do not have the physicality that is typically male. So that would be a non-cisgender person. So uh, which brings, I mean, which naturally progresses into transgender and we say transgender. We do not say transgendered. That was an old school, now very taboo. If somebody is transgender, uh, they uh, their identity and their birth sex are not the same. Again, has nothing to do with sexual orientation. You can have somebody that has transitioned from female to male or male to female, and is attracted to men or attracted to women. It has uh, You can have uh, a transgender male who is gay or a transgender male who is straight. You can have a transgender female who is gay or straight or bisexual or asexual or pansexual. We can get into all those terms as well. <laughs> There's a lot. And again, Google everything. I mean, if somebody t says a term to you that you don't know, feel free to look it up. There are uh, still I need to look up because there's some that we don't encounter as frequently. I, I won't lie, I feel lucky to identify as a gay male because everybody understands what that is now. We understand gay. We understand lesbian. We sometimes I uh, understand bisexual. Uh, a lot of people are confused about bisexuality because they see it as the gateway to gay, which it's somebody that, oh, I'm just figuring this out, so I'll say I'm bisexual until I'm ready to say I'm gay. That's uh, a lot of people think that. Not true. A, a bisexuality is a 
full-blown identity to have, somebody that is attracted to both men and women. And that's what it means, bisexuality, two, attracted to one of the two sexes, male or female. Gender fluid is somebody that does not identify strongly with either male or female, somebody that uh, takes aspects of both of those things, and it does not rely on biologically your chromosomes, the organs that you were born with. It's, it's, a, it's a feeling, how you feel in your soul. I feel like I take these masculine qualities from male, I take these feminine qualities, and I put them in the blender. And it, depending on the day, I might feel like expressing one stronger than the other. But uh, basically, gender fluid is not a fixed gender. It's not one or the other. Along the same lines, uh, we have gender non-binary or gender queer. And we'll get into that word. People are so scared of that word. And it's like, it's the <laughs> scary word that I get I get to talk to people the most about. But somebody who identifies as gender non-binary, not male or female, just a, we are in this two-pronged structure that we've lived in forever. And some people do not feel I'm not strongly male. I'm not strongly female. I am me. And I do not identify with either of those things, regardless of my physical biology, regardless of anything. I do not subscribe to those things. I wear the clothes that make me happy. I like the colors that make me happy. I don't have to wear a pink dress. I can if I want to. It's uh, just a no boundaries type of identity is that gender fluid, gender non-binary, gender queer. Let's get into queer. <laughs> it's, yes, please. It's a word that scares a lot of people because of its past negative connotation, mm-hmm. which it very, very justifiably, it really did have a negative connotation for so, so long that if you a queer was a bad thing, it's something, a derogatory term that would be used to call someone negatively a gay person, you'd call them a queer person, and that was a bad thing. It's no longer that. It's no longer something to be scared of. It's not a negative word. It's kind of like um, a safe umbrella term for someone that's not heterosexual not cis, or not cisgender. They are a queer person. A lot of people uh, identify as queer when they are figuring out their place within the LGBTQ which is the Q is queer uh, community, that I don't strongly identify with lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, uh, but I know I'm not straight. Uh, So anything along the lines of not heterosexual falls under the queer umbrella. So me as a gay man, I could also identify as a queer man. Um, I know specifically that I am a homosexual man, and so the term gay most closely uh, aligns with how I like to identify. And so, and also, it's something that, again, is a very, very accepted term now. Everybody, you say that, everybody knows what you mean. So that queer term, I could tell everybody, please, please, please do not be afraid of it. Uh, People are scared to use it because they think it's a bad term. It's no longer a bad term. It's actually a very proper term to use, especially if you're not sure. If you're not sure how somebody wants to identify and you're not ready to ask that question yet, uh, queer is a great, great term 
to use and it's not offensive at all whatsoever at least right now in today's context uh it is not an offensive term to use um and the last one is one that has come to my attention more recently i the term pansexual is something that i have had friends that now identify as pansexual and it's something that i had to have explained to me because it's a term that i did not know before so just I mean, to get on my soapbox of education, it's so people know that's an attraction to someone regardless of gender. It's not bisexuality where you are attracted to men and women. It is attracted to men, women, transgender individuals, gender non-binary individuals, gender queer, gender fluid. It, regardless of any sort of label, it is that attraction to a human person regardless of any form of label, sexuality, biology, anything that. And I think that's one where a lot of people say, well, isn't that just bisexual? Where bisexual would be a specific attraction to men and women, attraction to the binary. As I end that little bit, uh, know that I am by no means an expert on anything that I just said. This is my current understanding. So know that I may have said something that is evolving and changing. I may have said something that I could be corrected on, and I would welcome the opportunity to be corrected and to learn like, no, you use this not completely correctly. Uh, know that I, if that is possible, one, I apologize for using it uh, not perfectly correctly because that is always my intent, uh, but that's how we learn as well. So if any of your listeners want to call me on something, please know that I welcome that and I relish in those conversations because I always want to do right by people. And that's what I'm hoping, and I'm sure we're going to get into how this works in the classroom as well, that as long as you have the mindset of doing right by someone, much uh, misinformation can be forgiven if you're willing to learn and change the vocabulary, uh, evolve your vocabulary, and listen, you're going to be okay. You will never mortally offend someone when you have the best intentions in mind. That's great. Thank you for saying that, because it can be very scary to talk about these things because we worry, I'm going to get it wrong, or there's going to be some kind of retribution. And for me, it's important to remember that if someone reacts negatively to my mistake, I know my heart, and that person reacting negatively is not about them being in the LGBTQ community. Exactly. It's someone that prop- someone that gets very offended on the first mistake, know it's because you are not the first person to make the mistake. It's probably because they have been living a life where they are constantly misgendered, when they are constantly referred to by what is known as their dead name, the name that they don't go by anymore. A lot of our transgender uh, family have were born and given a male name and now go by a female name. And it can be frustrating when you're constantly referred to by something that is not a part of your soul, your identity anymore. So know that if somebody really is, uh, seems offended by the words that you use, it's probably because you are not the first and they know you won't be the last and use it as an opportunity to have a conversation. Know that 
in that moment, you do need to apologize and not be offended that they are offended. Their reaction, like anyone's reaction that can be negative, is often the result of, uh, I mean, of negative experience and pain and trauma, uh, possible abuse. And so to become upset, you know, I'm offended because you're offended, just gets into an endless cycle of pain and hurt. So if you you make a mistake, and I'm really saying this to myself, if I make a mistake and someone is upset with me, instead of then I'm upset back and I'm angry, I have to remember that person has been through a lot. And even though my interaction with that person in the moment may have not been exactly what I would have wanted it to be, it's still an opportunity for me to show love by apologizing. Whether they accept my apology, it, that, that doesn't matter. Um, it's that I'm trying. My husband says uh, this quote, and I'm going to get it wrong, but it's about, uh, like, I'm, a, I'm, I'm human, I contain volumes. And so um, just to remember that when you're interacting with anyone, just do your best and try to show love. And it may go well, it may not go well, but it, it doesn't take away from the goal, which is to be inclusive and which is to, um, is to care about social justice and, and building equality in all communities. I want to go back to, you talked about this thing called a dead, a dead name. Mm-hmm. Help me to understand how pronouns work in the present and past. So for instance, if a person transitioned in high school, how would you refer to them by name and pronoun when you're speaking about them before that time? That's a very interesting question, one that I haven't thought about much. I, well, I guess I can self-disclose, I have a transgender family member, and uh, I will only refer to this family member by their current name. We call it a dead name because it's a name that is no longer used. I would never refer to a student that has transitioned that I knew prior to by their former name. I would, I'd, for lack of a better term, we'll just use the name Stephanie because it's the name that I named my goldfish and I name everything Stephanie. So if I have a, I would talk about second grade Stephanie, even though if when she was in second grade, I knew her by a different name. I would say when Stephanie was in second grade. I don't say, oh, when George was in second grade, who's now Stephanie. Stephanie has always been Stephanie. Stephanie just wasn't always called Stephanie. That's uh, a very important distinction to know that it's changing a name tag. It's changing a label on what has already always been there. So uh, whether whether a person was comfortable naming that part of them, uh, it's something that they um, were aware of and uh, probably were aware of at a young age, but maybe not comfortable or equipped themselves to significantly name and publicly name. Um, So I would recommend uh, always referring to someone by the name and pronouns that they currently wish to be known as, and know that it's not your right to decide if that should be or should not be. If a person changes their name three times in a school year, 
you change their name three times in a school year. Uh, we do right by the kids. We want them to feel comfortable in our classroom. And if that is what makes you feel comfortable is me calling you by this name today, who am I to decide that that's not okay for me to do? I, 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 to me, it's just it's such an asinine uh, idea to say, no, I'm not going to call you today what you wish to be called today. I, to me, it seems like such an easy thing to do that I don't understand why anyone wouldn't. And it's easier to make those switches when we know that it's being met with the understanding that we're trying. Right. Because I think maybe that's part of the, the fear or yes. the reluctance is that, oh, no, there's a there's a name change. I'm going to get it wrong. And and teaching is already so difficult. And now I'm going to screw this up. And I think we get flooded with all these feelings. Um, and if we can we can let that go and say, OK, but I need to do what's best for the student. Funny story. That actually happened to me last week. OK. A student had emailed me and said, Mr. Gardner, will you please refer to me by this name in class for now on. I said, of course, of course I will. In the hullabaloo of a pandemic year and this and that, I forgot. By the next day, I had completely forgotten that that conversation happened. And for the next week or two, referred to the student by the name that was on my attendance sheet. In a class of 72 students, I it had completely slipped my mind. And they came up to me and said, Mr. Gardner, I'm pretty sure I emailed you and I really would like to be called by this name. And I have never been so mortified in my entire life that out loud I had called this student a handful of times a name that they no longer use, a name that they do not want to be referred by, a name that probably holds some negativity in their uh, in their heart and in their life. And so what I did immediately no questions asked, apologize. I mean, I told them that I'm so incredibly sorry. And yes, 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 of course I will. Went through in that moment, paused anything that I was doing to go through on my attendance sheets, cross out the other name and write it in. All of my sub plans, I always include a roster with students changed name on there because the last thing they want is somebody else to come in and call them a name that nobody refers to them because then it brings up all of those negative feelings and emotions that they don't deserve on a daily basis. So know that mistakes are going to happen and that we owe it to each other as humans to rectify those mistakes. To not be, as you said earlier, you don't be upset with yourself for making the mistake. Know that they're going to happen. Forgive yourself and ask forgiveness from others. I mean, people are, when people see that you are trying to do the right thing, I have never seen anyone not be forgiving for mistakes. Let's be honest. People that are changing their names and their pronouns, they are getting those mistakes. They, it happened in my own family. When uh, I had a family member uh, transition from female to male, I used the wrong pronouns because I had known this person for 18 years by a different name, by a different set of pronouns, and I messed up. I messed up frequently. And so you can imagine, I mean, somebody that you don't talk to on a daily basis, you're going to mess up. You're going to make mistakes. And it's okay. Don't get mad at them for calling you on those mistakes. Um, it's not their fault that 
you at that moment, it was not their fault that I did not do what they asked me to do. I mean, that was completely onus on me on that one. Uh, but since I'm getting it right and I practice daily, I have to remind myself I have sticky notes with don't screw this up because it's important to me, as I said earlier, that kids feel comfortable in my room and they're not going to get that in every room and they're not going to be comfortable with that conversation with every teacher. So my gosh, if all it takes is me taking a hot pink sticky note and writing a couple names on it to make sure I don't mess it up to make sure to have a kid not worry for an hour. Oh my gosh, it's the easiest thing in the world for me to go that one extra step to make sure that kid has an amazing day. How do we become cognizant of situations where a student is out at school but may not be out to their family? How do we handle those with care? I have several of those cases this year. Um, it uh, In school, kids are with their friends. Kids feel more comfortable a lot of times than they do at home. Um, and uh, the best piece of advice I could give to anyone is ask the questions and be open to the answers. Uh, I always start every class with, this is the name I would like to be called. These are the alternatives. If that's too long, for Mr. Gardner Northrup is a lot. So Mr. Gardner is fine. Mr. G is fine. My pronouns are he and him. I have each kid fill out a card so that I have, like, what are you comfortable with? And to just say, if this changes, please let me know. And I am happy to abide by that. I have a middle school student that really wants me to call them this name in class, but has specifically said to me, but I'm not out to my parents. So when concert time came around and I said, I was like, okay, I'm going to print names in the program. I'm going to pass this around. Feel free to make any edits that you want. Uh, and But when I, I specifically went up to the student, I said, this will be at the concert. What name would you like me to print in this program? At which was, it was either that or I don't uh, print the names at all. Those were my two options. And I went back and forth either way. I want the kids to have recognition. So I, I chose to print the names, but I chose to print the names that the students want. And it's not calling someone out. It's not ostracizing because I went, I typed every lily as a Lillian because I don't know if they want L-I-L-Y or L-I-L-L-I. And it's Correct it the way you want it to be in the program, which is something any choir director would do anyways. Uh, but this also gives your students that have preferred names a chance to make that choice. You don't make that choice for them. Because I have some students that go by a name not printed in my roster, uh, that their name isn't legally changed, so their parents don't want their names changed in the school system, that do want that uh new, different name printed, happy to do that. But again, whatever is going to make a student most comfortable. And this particular student said, please just print this, the given name, because I don't, I'm not ready to have that conversation yet, but it's totally fine. So I knew that conversation, had it gone a different way, would have opted me to just not print names altogether. If it had been, I really hate this name, but I'm not ready to talk about this with my family. But if it had been painful for that student to see that name in print, no reason to print. I mean, I have 
run out of time before and not printed names and programs and I, my head has not ended up on a pike for that uh so it the student seemed like yes please just print this one it would just be easier no big deal and so that helped me make that decision but again i who am i i whatever the student wants me to do it's easy for me to do so i always say why not do right by the kids whatever's going to make them feel comfortable let me know tomorrow if it changes and i'll try I'll try my best tomorrow. And that's the thing. Try your best. In what ways does privilege exist in the choral classroom? Oh, so much privilege. I mean, and I, I, I mean, I exude privilege in the classroom. Uh, I mean, I, I've had an easy road. I am still a white male. And so, I mean, with it, with that comes a lot of privilege. Uh, I try and, uh, do best to make my choral classroom a neutral playing ground. It's been a lot for me to not talk about the tenor and bass section as the men. Oh, the I'm so glad you brought this up. <laughs> and the soprano alto section as the women. Yes, it that is so difficult. I I recently actually just um, met with my first transgender student. Uh, who I met in 2016, and I was very fortunate because this person walked into the classroom and said, hi, you know, my name is this, and you're going to see that my name is written this way on the roster, but I identify as a male, and so please call me this. And I thought, well, that's easy enough. Exactly. How fortunate was that, you know, that that person was so direct and and really, you know, kind and just just put it out there. Um, and so they were actually bringing this up that it's and I do this all the time, you know, uh, women sing, men sing. And that just it, it doesn't really make sense I mean it can really ostracize people so to practice and I'm going to I'm going to do this to practice bases bear to calling them by section name mm-hmm. um because you can have a transgender student who uh I'm gonna see if I I'm gonna see if I can articulate this well go for it if you are going to remove gender from the choral setup completely then it means any person who fits a specific range vocally can go into any section. Someone transitions to be a transgender male. Mm-hmm. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah. Uh, doing a female to male transition. Doing a female to male transition. Yeah. They may still have the voice that fits into the soprano section. Correct. So even though they identify as male the voice itself is not gender assigned the do you see why this this one is difficult to talk about if we yeah. if we are going to remove gender completely from the choral setup then we have to only look at the voice itself exactly and not at the gender mhm and it cuz i mean our friends that go on that journey of transition i i mean i've been fortunate just in my three years here at Dow, I have probably had five or six students fully transition. And when our when our friends that transition from female to male start hormone therapy, you have somebody that goes from 
alto one year to base the next year. And you're exactly right. Uh, We are next year going to be changing the name of Men's Honors Choir because how ostracizing to somebody that now identifies as a woman but has an excellent low G. And uh, uh, we have the other after-school group, Laveau's, which uh, traditionally is all women, but you're exactly right. Anyone who auditions as a beautiful soprano alto ranged voice fits that group. Uh, I actually had a middle school student because we were talking about, oh, what choirs are offered at the high school? And when I talked about the two after school groups, uh, they raised their hand and said, well, which one would I fit into? And I said, come sing for me and we'll find out. It, uh, what? Where's your most beautiful range? That's where I want you to live in my choir classroom is where you're going to shine vocally most beautifully. I could care less the biology or any of the gender pronouns or whatnot. Where does your voice fit? That's where you need to be. Uh, you might be alto this year. You might be tenor next year. You might, I mean, uh, how long throughout history have we had countertenors that are full-blown men that have the most gorgeous high C you've ever heard. Why make them sing in the bass section because of their chromosomes? I mean, that makes absolutely no sense at all whatsoever. It never has, but it's something we have not really thought about in that way until now, because you would still call that person a man, even though their voice is high. But now that there's I mean, and we also have our students that are gender non-binary that do not identify as men or women. Put them where they sing well. And you're exactly right. I say tenors and basses do this, sopranos, altos. And I consciously have to think about it almost every single time because I'm so, what's the word, conditioned to say men. It's it's fast. And so we just do it. All right, ladies, let's do this. Uh, that's oh, that's another thing that uh, my husband brings up all the time because he teaches social work courses at SVSU. When you say, okay, guys, let's go do this as a catch-all term, hey, guys, which obviously we know is a gendered term, what different connotation would it take or would people assume if you said, okay, ladies, let's try this? They would take it as a negative thing. But when we say, hey, guys, we just are supposed to assume that everybody is cool with that. And so I try my very best to say, to take terms, even just like, hey, guys, let's do this, out of my vocabulary. But I have to think about it almost every time. And I slip up all the time. So what do you use? Hey, everybody. I mean, just everybody. I don't say ladies and gentlemen anymore because, again, I don't know if I have a student that deep down doesn't identify as a lady or a gentleman that is not ready to say that out loud yet. And the last thing I want to do is ostracize. Everyone stand up. Uh, we're, and I do very, very consciously refer to uh, choral groups by section, sopranos, sopranos and altos. Uh, yeah, don't do, don't do the men's warm-up, do the tenor bass warm-up type of thing. It just as much as you can try and eliminate that gender specific language it's not get it's it gets such a negative vibe like oh why are you trying to get rid of these terms it's like no i'm trying to bring in everyone if i if some a word that i use makes one person have a negative experience why would I just not use that term? Because me saying everyone does not offend anyone. I can't believe you didn't call us men and women. I've never heard that in my entire life. 
I mean, I, I, I'm so offended that you said tenors and basses and not men. No, I mean, that's just, it's asinine to think that. So just flip it on its head. And if that one word is going to make somebody feel bad, I will eliminate that word as best I can from my vocabulary. And I mean, there's countless of gender neutral terms that we use all the time, but to just purposefully use those, uh, I jot myself notes, especially, I mean, when I, I had never in Bay City, I'd never had an out open transgender student. I came to Dow and I had several in my very first year. I was like, okay, I need, I need my cheat sheet because I, I want to keep these kids. These kids love being here. They love being here because they can be themselves and being accepted. Um, and they love having me in front of them, being me, being accepted, being out and proud. And so the last thing I would ever want to do is hurt a kid just by the simple use of a term that I didn't think twice about. I mean, as teachers, we have to think twice about everything that comes out of our mouths anyways. <laughs> Why not just add that to the list? What other strategies do you use in the classroom to help with inclusion and to celebrate diversity? The, I mean, I've touched on it a thousand times already, but celebrating, being my individual self, being my authentic self. I mean, I just, to make it that environment where I can wear my rainbow shirt and I, when a kid also wears their rainbow shirt, hey, I like your shirt. And they know that because you know all day long they're waiting for somebody to say something negative in the halls because it probably happens. But to be that person that says something positive about a specific choice they made, uh, I always try and notice haircuts because they make kids feel good that you notice that they did something intentional. Um, and so I have had, uh, so I have three lesbian students who they have told me that that's how they identify. And so I feel comfortable saying that in one of my choirs and one of them got a super short haircut. And so I was like, oh my gosh, this person is truly owning who they want to be. And so I celebrated that. I said, oh my gosh, I love what you did with your hair. Just, I mean, they feel good about it. They did it for that exact reason. And so point that out. Let them know that you notice these conscious choices, these brave choices that they make. I would not have been that comfortable in high school. I knew no one out in high school. I knew of my own sexuality. No one else did. I mean, they may have, but I never spoke of it. And we just, these kids are so brave and proud of who they are that I draw attention to it. I make it a positive thing. i you do you, kids, and I'm going to make you feel good for you doing you. If you are willing to be brave and put yourself out there, I'm going to make sure that you feel good for doing that. Is it fair to say that we are all constantly trying to find ourselves, and it's through love, love, loving others and feeling love that we really can find our truest selves? I mean, this is middle school and high school. Adolescents have it rough enough just navigating those ages without piling on any sort of anything else. I mean, just going through puberty is wreaks havoc on kids mentally and physically. And to then changing your entire outward appearance along with it. I mean, we're, they, the kids are all going through rough times. Some kids are going through a doubly rough time and to 
make our coral world a place where they can do that without fear of ridicule, I think is some, some, we owe it to them to make the most difficult years of their life easier. Less, I mean, to not make it more difficult than it's already going to be. We're all going through stuff. We all go through change. Oh my gosh. Puberty on a traditional male voice. I'll be careful about what I say there. When that voice drops that octave, I mean, just the fear of that ridicule of going up for that E flat and knowing that your voice is probably going to crack. Try doing that with the typical outward appearance of female and realize how much more ostracizing, how much more difficult that could be. Uh, God, I just, I say it all the time, man, I had it easy just going through life as a gay man. I mean, that that was easy one because that one people get. Even, even my grandparents get that. It, there's so much new that is com- becoming uh, much more public that people, the general public, haven't wrapped their brains around yet. And so those kids are fighting that fight. I mean, they get, they see it in the news every day that what they feel is not okay what they feel is wrong what they feel is punishable what they feel takes them out of certain rights of certain things that they should be owned just as being a human uh I'm not going to do that in school. I'm going to make this the most loving, the most accepting place for you to let that freak flag fly. It is, I mean, it's high school. Oh my gosh. It's rough enough. Let's not make it any worse. When we talk about privilege in the choral classroom, how do you think that relates to literature and uniforms? Uniforms are a big thing um, because we have women's dresses and men's tuxedos in our library. That is the standard issue uniform for a lot of high school choirs. For me, I currently don't have a budget to really change that much. So I allow students in high school that have those two options to choose the one that they're more comfortable with. Uh, I have only had uh, students transgender students that have transitioned from female to male and they are very comfortable putting on the tuxedo i have not had the alternative someone that to a person walking down the street their face looks masculine and choose to wear a dress would i be okay with that of course perfectly what i would say to anyone that has the ability to do so there are amazing traditional gender neutral outfits that we can have uh, coral robes are something that work. I mean, everybody wears the exact same thing. Why not go that route? When I do uh, middle school choir, I have uh, ties and scarves. I put them out on the table and say, pick one. And I, sixth grade, I have some sixth grade boys that love wearing that red scarf. I have other sixth grade girls self-identifying that would much rather wear a necktie because they're way more comfortable in that. That, And it's never been an issue. I've never had anybody say, oh my gosh, could you see so-and-so wearing that tie or that so-and-so wearing that scarf? But I, I would say when you have the means, you owe it to your kids to take that decision out of the equation for them to make it something they don't have to think about 
uh, and coral robes to me are the easiest response to that. Or uh, wear black, wear your concert black, whatever that means to you. I just, I set down the rules of if you choose a skirt, it needs to be calf length. If you, and nothing about ladies when you choose a skirt or, but there's a pants option for anybody. Take it out of the equation so a student doesn't have to torment themselves over choosing what they want to wear and choosing what they think they should wear. Why should we as educators care about social justice in our classrooms? Man, that's heavy. I mean, if we care about kids, if we care about people, we have to care about justice for all of them. I We can't pick and choose we will teach the majority because it's comfortable. Within our given classrooms, we have those kids or those kids experience those kids that are the minority. And to teach a human compassion, to teach a human love, uh, involves teaching that equality, teaching that equity, teaching that justice for everybody to raise a generation after generation of citizens that are going to go on and lead this country, that are going to make the decisions that affect us all, to have those hard conversations, to have those important conversations is a duty of educators, no matter what your subject level. I made sure this year that I purposefully chose literature by Black composers, that I chose literature that talked about the struggles of different, uh, we did several uh, indigenous American pieces so that we could have those historical conversations of what surrounded this piece uh, so that kids feel seen, that they know that you know what's going on in the world and that you're not going to shy away from it, I think is an important aspect of me as a teacher to talk about why I pick certain literature. I'm just going to wrap those two questions kind of in one ball there uh, because uh, literature is a great way to talk about social justice in your class, to pick a piece. We uh, we tried, we tried, we tried to uh, get the poem read at inauguration uh, commissioned into a choral piece. Way too long of a poem. It, it just wasn't feasible, but man, what an important piece of spoken literature that could turn into a wonderful choral piece to include the lit uh, about what's happening now and to use it to talk about I mean music is so universal that when we have when we can sing that perfect chord but then the text also means something to a kid that allows a kid to feel seen I mean then then you just you struck gold at that point when a kid can feel proud of not just how they're singing but of what they're singing that I mean, that's why we look at new composers that are writing about what's going on now, that are writing about the important events of the past that we maybe sometimes don't want to talk about uh, because they're difficult for kids. Uh, we've had so much racial tension in this nation over the last couple of years to not bring that into my classroom, I think would be uh, dishonest of me uh, to... It, it's it's brushing it under the rug. It's saying that uh, you can deal with that later, but right in he, right now we're gonna only sing John Rutter. We're gonna only sing the Dead White Dudes because 
that's the choral literature of the past. But God, there's so much amazing stuff written now about considering Matthew Shepard singing a song about uh, a tragic, horrible uh, death within our gay community to bring that piece in to then have an important conversation. You would not believe how all of your students, uh, regardless of how they identify uh, straight, gay, bisexual, transgender, get behind that piece when it has a meaning. And they they know somebody that would be truly affected by that. And so they get excited to sing that and to learn about that. Uh, we can teach social justice through the music that we pick for our kids. So I, and that, it's really our duty as educators to do so. Thank you for sharing your thoughts. Thank you for being you. And thank you for loving your students. Your answers were well thought out and beautiful. And I'm grateful to spend time with you. So I really appreciate you taking the time to to share your experiences and, and what you know. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Sing, Coach, Conduct. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please subscribe to the show by clicking the subscribe button.